Episode 3 is in the books. We are ready to talk about it. How's it going, everybody? It's Justin from Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. In today's episode, it is all about fear and loathing in Gilead. The show continues to put us through the ringer, and we are going to see the best and worst of pretty much everybody. Emotions are running high. Everybody is wondering if and hoping that Offred is pregnant. Uh, but, you know, things don't stay happy for long. The eye makes a little house call. They bring Aunt Lydia and her world-famous cattle prod as muscle. Nick continues to almost say and do a lot of things. Um, we learn the fate of Avglin, sadly. And uh, Hulu, they summon the ghost of Stanley Kubrick to direct a disturbing final scene. Makes everyone want to scream, along with Avglin. Let's continue now with the Gilead Happy Fun Time Radio Hour on Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast proudly presents Hardcore Lady Quotes. Quotes of inspiration, empowerment, and rebellion, chosen, recorded, and read by my kid. A man told me that for a woman, I was very opinionated. I told him that for a man, he was very ignorant. Anne Hathaway. Episode 3, we roll right into the new Avglin. Avglin is gone, and we do find out that there's a Martha network, which I hadn't thought about, so that you're thinking that that's probably how Avglin got found out. Well, you think so often, too, I mean, in your workplace, right? Like, it's a good idea anyway just to be a nice person, to be nice to the to people who um, bring the coffee and the people who answer the phones and all of that. But there's certainly, they also know everything, yeah. right? Like, those are the people who have all the information, so right. I thought that they, makes sense for them. They pretty Martha's. much see it all. Because they get the commander wives side of it, and they get the handmaid side, so they're kind of at the center of everything almost. Uh, so we get a flashback after that. Well, they do. There is a great line from her where she talks about because I think now she's made the declaration that I was asleep before, and that was after she found out that there was a new Avglin. She's oh, like, I, I was asleep before. I'm awake mm-hmm. now. And part of me was like, Why were you not awake when they took all your money? Which comes later, but I, that part kind of messed with my head. I would have been awake when they took me to the Red Center and cattle prodded a lady. Well, it seems like the, the, the difference for her is, am I going to take the risk or not? Right? And the beginning is, I'm not going to take the risk because I know what's going to happen to me if I do. You know, that I, I will get hurt in some way and I'm afraid of the eyes and all of that. But when it becomes personal and about someone in this life that she cares about, she's already lost everything from her old life. Well, right. now I've lost something in this life. So now I'm in. Because... Right. She's lost basically her only... Yeah relationship friendship that she's had and who knows how long so yeah that's a good point so maybe that's why she's doing that and coming to that conclusion but then is uh swiftly told different so we get a flashback there and we're jogging and we start kind of seeing this societal transition where her and uh, moira are jogging and they get kind of these dirty looks from a woman that they're jogging with they go in to order coffee and credit cards don't work and the barista guy is not the same guy, and he's calling them sluts. And they're like, what is happening, bro? Usually a woman works, because Moira right. asks where some right. female's yeah. name. And she must have already been fired. Yeah. yeah. So you got to think that's kind of, yeah. we're kind of building up. Uh, but that language is that language where you're supposed to think he's acting really strangely, because why is he being such an asshole? And then you realize, oh, can I say that? 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, you realize we don't have any underwriters. You can say anything you want. For now. That's, um, <laughs> that's language that's used against women all the time. You know? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, why was I treating her like that? Well, because she was a slut or because her skirt was too short or because she'd had too much to drink, right? And so it's not actually that different from how I think women are treated when we're being out of line in whatever I kind of the way. the exact same thing. That is not anything I have not heard before mm. from somebody who is supposed to be like providing me a service. Right. And obviously they do kind of take it to an extreme there because obviously that guy's supposed to be part of the new regime of the sons of Jacob, I think. He, and he literally did not say anything I haven't heard before. Have heard, but as, as a barista said it to you, like from the counter, like that seemed um, a little extreme to make a point to me. But people serve people like the service people in stores. Yes. Really? Yeah. We don't, we don't some people know. are assholes just really some people are that's assholes. interesting so as a man uh, even as like younger i've never had anybody uh, and i have guess you, there's Maria? i have well i would get more of the prude right because then it's this double bind thing like either uh, it's too much or not enough yeah. so you know hmm. oh you're 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 buying your own drinks well you know maybe you need to change what you're wearing that, those kind of ah. things yeah. and see there's not as much there's like hardly any of that for guys at all yeah we know. Yeah. <laughs> we know. We notice those things. <laughs> we notice. So this is when we see the sons of Jacob at the at her office where she works, which is a small publishing company, and they basically come and tell the guy, "You have to fire all the women." And the guy, her boss, who is very much not wanting to fire all these women, he's is like, I, he was freaked Poor out. Guy. And there's guys with machine guns at your office all of a sudden, and he's like, "I don't have a choice. I don't have a choice," and. That, it, it, I don't know, man. Like, that to me would be like, I think I need to get my passport. Yeah. And it's time to go. Same. I it, thought, like, that is the point at which I would be running home, getting my go bag, finding my passport, getting the hell and out. And that's where I start to question Luke, because I start to think, why isn't this freaking him out, too? Why does he seem to think that this is all just going to be I okay? I thought that, too. And then I thought, like, hmm. Just because my husband would be freaked out with that by that, does that mean like all dudes would? Like, I'd be totally freaked out. Really? By that. Okay, good. If somebody, I was trying to judge that. My office with a machine gun. A, no, would, not not by that because oh. Luke Luke didn't have that situation. That's true. Luke That's was true. at we did, Luke is at home is when we find him, and they're talking about the situation of not having money. Are you just talking anything. about him overall not being more? Yeah, and he seemed like so like nonchalant about it. Like it'll be okay. We'll make it work. And I I just thought like. So, that is not how my household would be reacting to that at all. No, nope. we'd be gone. Yep, same out. Uh, so let's see. They fire all the women, and as they're walking out, there's a really cool line of, "Why did they bring in the army?" And she goes, "I don't think that's the army." And uh, June says, "I think it's a different kind of army, or I think it's another army." Was it when was it that she said what used to be the United States now has? Now is That's its capital in Anchorage? Yeah, Anchorage is the capital of the United States. And there are only now. two stars. And so you, I only guess you're led to believe it's Hawaii and Alaska, maybe, that are the only... Well, I couldn't tell if she was referring to the stars on a flag of Gilead or uh, stars on a flag yeah, well, of the United point. States. Because I'd have to re-listen to that line. Yeah, it's hard when I you're watching recall. the show because you're still thinking of it as the United States. Right. She they specifically don't really, said what yeah. used to be the United States now, there's only two now has its capital in Anchorage. Okay. So I guess she's saying that Gilead is not what used to be the United States. Gilead is like this new entity that has taken over. Right. But then why would there be fighting all over the place? Like well, if Gilead... spread throughout continental United States. Oh, I think because they're lying too. I think that they say there's fighting, but we don't actually know that there's fighting. Mm, I just hope point. that somebody I've says been the words. For granted that there is fighting. <laughs> I just can't wait to hear the words "Baptist rebels." Yes, 
Yes. That was, I remember reading the book and yeah. going, I was raised Baptist. <laughs> yeah. And if the Baptists are the rebels, we are in trouble. Yes. I <laughs> we are in a bad place. If the Baptists are rebelling against somebody who is oppressing somebody more, I was like, <laughs> that's bad news. That's when I would have been out. Uh, so let's see what we get to next is Martha lunch. Let's see. Oh, the Martha. So now we're post ceremony. We're supposed to think, and what we assume and what we're told kind of through this uh, lunch that she's having is that they are hoping that she is pregnant now because she's a couple days late, as they say. Um, which is, I guess, at that point with the, with the way society is, a couple days late is good enough for anybody to start going. Oh, maybe she's pregnant. Well, and they, I, I don't get the impression that they're still using like tests they're not peeing on a stick to see mm-hmm. if you're pregnant like it's a wait and see situation so get excited about what you can exactly. i guess what else do they have to be excited about in this world so there are little things that they talk about swapping out the cinnamon for cheese so there is kind of a little bit of what we talked about in the first episode where things aren't as easy to come by so you have to trade for them so you know the cinnamon and she had to give a bunch of cheese to one of the other marthas to get the cinnamon for whatever she made something with apples um for her lunch and then Miss baked apples, baked apples, and Mrs. Waterford picks a rose just for her, and that's creepy because you're like, why? But Especially if you've read the book, because her rose garden is like a whole thing. Yes, it's it like is. it's like her living baby. Correct, not human. So for her to yeah pick a rose is. A and so big then deal. we get Serena Joy, who is now all of a sudden kind of shifted gears and is very much like doting over Avglen and is Offred. asking her all these questions. Or I'm sorry, Offred, and asking her all these questions. And how are you feeling? How was your walk? And you're like, who is this lady? And so then you're slowly realizing, oh, they think she's pregnant. So everyone is treating her like freaking royalty. Like they put her in bubble wrap pretty much. And be like, you are, you know, holding the, hopefully the baby. And so it, it's just weird to see the shift. You are the key master. <laughs> it was really weird. It was really weird. Uh, so so from- I'm talking about apparently, except Justin. No, I got you. Ghostbusters okay. reference. Oh yeah, I was there. Uh, so Serena Joy to not stay very uh, pleasant very long. Asked the one Martha about the cake, and she says, "Is it ready?" And she says, "Oh yeah, I just need to uh, pack it up." And she's like, "Well, it's not ready then, is it?" And she's like, "Oh well, that went downhill real quick. Every, everybody was uh, real happy there for a second. Uh, so now we're uh, going with to visit Baby Angela, and that is when um, we learn the. Janine is a biter because she bit her her uh, commander's wife because to was, quote Janine she keeps grabbing at the baby. Was anybody surprised that Janine turned out to be No, a but it was no, just funny. It I seemed was like, very in character. And so uh, Offred kind of approaches Janine after she's heard the story about her biting the wife, which is, you know, something that probably gets you in quite a bit of trouble. So uh, the important part of this scene is that Janine tells Offred that the commander is in love with her and they're going to run away, which you can tell the way that Janine is describing it. Janine just, just kind of lost it it's and is not the reality. totally filling yeah. in holes that aren't there. She didn't seem to ever really totally be there. Like even in the red center, she was, she was already starting to break. It's true. And you know, you get your eye removed and you have a cattle prod then on your neck. Then all these, Oh man, you'd lose it too, but we'd be dead as we said before. Uh, let's see. We got Serena Joy. There is an ex- there's a really good line in that scene too, where her and Serena Joy are now in the foyer after they've had the visit with the baby and Janine, and she says she makes this mention of 
this thing we do is so terrible. And she catches herself and says, terribly hard. And it's kind of like, oh, so there is some kind of humanity in there that kind of recognizes that this whole arrangement is kind of awful. And I thought that was really interesting. And the other thing was like, Serena Joy is all of a sudden two feet taller than Offred. And I didn't know if that was like a... She wears four inch heels. She wears heels. And I didn't know if like a wife thing was to wear the heels so that you're above the... Well, it reminds me of um, Prince Charles and Princess Diana and how she was actually taller than him. But in every shot that they took, they'd have her seated or they'd have him on risers or something to make him look taller because he was supposed to be the more powerful. Did not know that. Yes. So I think the symbol of power and of looming and of who's really in charge. Uh, So we also meet Nick again. They've really given the two of them a lot of alone screen time, which is awfully surprising. Like that's that's a lot of time they have spent alone together now. Yes. And for uh, Serena Joy to send her home alone with the driver seemed like yeah. on the line. I'm I was really like, is she allowed that. to do that? Right. And so Nick's kind of giving her the speech of everybody breaks and there's nothing good that's going to come of you, you know, kind of being in this resistance. So he kind of knows that she's had those conversations. And that's when we get back to the house and the eye is there to basically interrogate her. And Nick makes the point that he's like, I tried to stop them. There was nothing I could do. And so you know that something bad is about to happen and she's about to get interrogated by these guys. So then we flash back. We kind of get more of the history where we go back to all of a sudden everybody, she tries to buy something and her bank account is frozen. And there's this new laws about the women can't own property and all the transfer of property and assets to the men. And this is when we have a uh, very interesting intense conversation is that what we're calling it argument (laughs) i guess confrontation would probably be a better word between moira and luke um kind of a half serious half joking uh luke walks in the room after all this stuff has started going down and all these new laws are in place and moira looks at luke and says hey look here's the fucking problem and then what's interesting when i first saw that i thought oh this is she's angry she's venting you know and that needs to happen because of course she's angry and venting um especially because she at least june in that position gets to by proxy hold on to her money um but moira doesn't right who's her next of kin we don't know right we don't know that's where her a good point going so of course the first guy she sees she's gonna lash out but then the more i think about it too when they get in the conversation we realize that luke is not altogether convinced that this is a bad thing that maybe he's the problem because he's complacent and he is sitting back and saying that's cool it'll all it'll all work out and he's not angry so i, I think there are multiple layers to her her kind of getting angry at him yeah I, yeah I didn't she think seemed angry that. before she realized that he was so complacent yeah there. like that scene before i think that was more just like she is scared and yeah. upset and angry and that's what's happening because of it um but yeah he was super complacent and that was worrisome and then he does get, he does have the line of should i just go in the kitchen and cut my dick off which is kind of like every guy's kind of response to be this right. rant that she what goes on I about do? the men being the problem. It was like, what, what would you like me to do? Cause all he really did was say, I'll take care of you when, when they're referring to the money being you know transferred over to Luke. And he clearly meant it in like a reassuring way. Right. But it, it does make a good point that like in that situation, that's not reassuring. No, I think it shows his frustration to have not knowing what to do. But yeah. I think it's also this microcosm of just kind of responses to feminism and this idea of you're in this position where you're being 
blamed for something and you're in a position of power, but you don't feel like you're in a position of power and you don't know what to do with that. And so the first you're thing not to the do, one that put you there. Right. And so it's not my fault, but you're blaming me, but I don't know what to do. And so I can see it kind of as that's the way I think a lot of people react to movements for change is, well, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I know that I'm in this group that's being blamed and I don't really know what to do with it. So I'll make a joke about, you know, you hating me and wanting to mutilate me because that's the only way I know how to respond to this. Yeah. And it's, it's a good way to like throw away the conversation and like kind of put a stop to their argument yeah. and like, I'm going to make a joke to show you how ridiculous this is yeah. because that you're attacking me because I tried to be reassuring and do the right thing. Like we all, we all know that like, I'm not like that. So let's not. And I don't want to have the hard conversation, which is why did it upset you to say that yeah. I would take care of you? Yeah. I don't want to dig in there and have that conversation. Yeah. That's a tough conversation. Is it? <laughs> I think we're yeah. a lot of people, right? And I think this is when we can segue into this is the show feminist or not conversation. So let's segue into that, shall we? Yeah. So there, we did have a little bit of controversy over the weekend. The show had a, I believe they debuted it at the, or at least some at of the episodes at Tribeca Film Festival in New York. And they also did a panel with most of the cast and the writer, Bruce Miller. And during this panel, the actress that plays Janine, I do not remember her name off the top of my head, made mention of it not being a feminist story to her, that it was a human rights story. Is that... Well, she said, she said, I, I don't want you to think this is some of that feminist, feminist propaganda. Feminist propaganda, yes. Yeah. And then later on, after she had said that, Elizabeth Moss made a point of returning to that and saying that this was indeed not to her. She did, I will give her this little <laughs> bit of, because when I was talking to my wife about it, she did say, well, she did say to me, for me, this story was not a feminist story. It was a human rights story. So she didn't necessarily say for everybody. She said for her. So we'll give her that little tiny crack to kind of get herself out of. Everybody is shaking her head going, nope. no freaking way. Nope. Um, but did say it's not a feminist story. It is a human rights story. And then Bruce Miller, who's the writer, kind of jumped in on this and kind of agreed with her. So I know you and I talked about this a little bit the other day when it happened. And you you have a lot of thoughts on this matter. So we're, I'm just going to let you go. I think there's a lot of fear of what feminism is and what feminism means as a label. And that this reaction seems to be this one of, if I get labeled that, then people will think X thing. And I don't want people to think X thing. And so I will not say it. Like Luke says, oh, no, you know, Moira's saying these feminist things. Well, that must mean she hates men and wants to cut their dicks off, right? When I don't think anyone's really saying that. That's not actually what's in the conversation. So what Elizabeth Moss expresses in that interview is, I don't want to be labeled as the bad kind of feminist. And we don't know really what she's referring to because she doesn't expand on what, why she wouldn't want to be a feminist and why that would be a negative thing. And then later in the interview, she says that she does want to stand up for what's right and she does want to be political. So, and she is a producer of the show and she is the lead actress of the show. So she's not really speaking for herself. Um, she's speaking on behalf of people who are making this show happen. And so to say that it's not a feminist show to me was to, to kind of spit in the face of people who have made a stand for women to say uh, purposely that feminism is a good thing. Everyone should be a feminist. This shouldn't even be a question of what is harmful about this label. And to her credit the other day, she said, I think she recanted and said, no, I, I am a feminist. I do think this is a feminist show, but as long as we allow that word to be an insult and to be a problem, we are only going to get so far with how we can fight for women um, because this is a story about women who are not allowed to read and women who are not allowed to be in charge of their bodies and so to say that it's really about everyone in the show I think is a little bit inaccurate well and coming from a outside 
looking in on it point, just from a consumer, a person that is seeing the show advertised, the marketing is decidedly feminist. Uh, when you see all the graphics for it, there is, you know, the, the one that immediately came to mind for me was, uh, there's kind of the one where she's standing kind of behind glass almost, where you can't really see who her face is, but you see the outline of the handmaid's costume and it just says object kind of scrawled into the glass. And that's clearly feminist. There's another one where it was her standing there kind of profile and saying, we shall breed no more. And if that's not feminist, I don't know what that has to do with. It is not, yes, it's human rights, but it is a specific kind of human rights. Feminism and feminist rights. And so I think they kind of, I think she did kind of miss, misspeak maybe, because we did read a couple other things where she's kind of wavered back and forth on her wording and how she's saying it. And so. I, honestly, at this point, I don't know what she thinks, and maybe that was her strategy. I think she doesn't, and I think that's part of the problem, that if you're going to be a public voice for a movement, then you need to have figured out what you think before you go in front of people and mm-hmm. say, um, I'm going to speak for the movement, but not. But I think I am, but I don't want to. And I think there's a lot of, I think behind that is just a lot of fear of what the implications are. Well, and we did, you know, some of the reactions when you and I were texting back and forth, Roxanne Gay was like, well, heaven forbid something actually be feminist. Right. You know, that was kind of the reaction. And I think that's absolutely right. Like, there's nothing wrong with it if that's what it is. If, there's nothing wrong with that being that's what, if that's what the story is, then own it. And I don't know why you wouldn't. Yeah. Um, the first thing I thought of, and I don't know if I'm the only one in this room that's seen it, but I thought of Moonlight immediately. Because Moonlight is... Could have easily been a movie where the guy got up there and said this is not about the african-american community dealing with uh the homosexual issue this is about everybody dealing with the homosexual issue when clearly that movie is about a very specific area of society and a very specific way that it is dealt with by after the african-american community it's what it is about it is, yes, it is. I'm sure other people of various races have had very similar experiences in the way they've grown up um, being homosexual. But that story is a specific story about the black experience being homosexual and, and written almost autobiographically between the writer and the director as their kind of shared experience growing up in that area. And so they owned it and they ran with it. And I thought that was great. And that was the first thing I thought of. That'd be like Moonlight coming out and being like, oh, no, we're not, we're not saying anything about the African-American community. Or them saying, it's not that we're against racism. Well, of course you're against racism. <laughs> like, nobody would say that out loud. And so to say I'm not a feminist or, or the story isn't feminist, I think is to implicitly say, oh, I'm not criticizing what they're doing to women in the story. Well, of course you are. Right. That's the whole purpose of the book, right, is to critis- make this criticism. So I'm glad that she's I'm glad that Twitter is such now and social media is such that there was enough backlash that they had to stop and think about it. And that, you know, Roxanne Gay, who is arguably one of the most prominent feminists we have right now, won't have anything to do with the show now um, because she said, nope, I've had that fight too many times. Um, we're moving backwards. I'm out. I got other battles to fight. I'm not going to sit here and, and, and do this elementary feminist battle. Um, and she can do that because she is large and in charge and in power and she's got other things to do. <laughs> so, it's true. you know, but you, that's what you lose out. You lose out a voice like that when you well, make these claims. And she did make the point that they sought all these people out in, as part of their Purposely. marketing campaign trying to seek out these people who are feminists and forward thinkers as in, in human rights and, feminine, and women's rights and then 
that's kind of a slap in the face. And so I think you, they probably lost a little bit of that. Obviously, they lost Roxanne Gay. She said, I'm very personally invested in this book, and I'm not going to watch the show anymore, and I'm not going to be involved in this. I have other things to do. So for her, I think it's a priority list, and sure. she would have bumped it up the priority list had oh, sure. people been clear about it. Right. Um, but I like that it called attention to it. I like that at least this is a conversation that we get to have, because the more people claim feminist projects, the less of a stigma the word will have. Yeah, I think the situation that American society is kind of approach is kind of coming to now where people feel unsure about the use of the word feminist and they're like, Oh, I feel uncomfortable being called a feminist, even though they actually do believe that men and women should be equal in all ways. And so therefore they are a feminist because that's what it means. It's, it's really burdened by situations like this where public figures who are in a situation to say, yes, I am a feminist and I am proud of that. Like we should all be equal. Everybody here, probably could agree that we should all be equal and if you don't agree with that that's what makes you not a feminist when they choose to not come out and like i guess be proud of their feminism it just really adds to that area where people who are uncomfortable declaring themselves and making other people uncomfortable are really given much more latitude to say well i'm not a feminist but i do think women should have equal rights which is not a thing by the way if you think women should have equal rights I'm sorry, you're a feminist. Hate to break it to you. Um, yeah, I, I just really loathe all situations in which we make it okay for people to say, I'm not a feminist, but... Because it is that is not a thing that you are half in and half out. It's not. The belief that we should all be equal regardless of gender is a yes or no answer. And to give people an out like that really muddies the water and really, really holds up the movement toward full and equal rights, we're still not there. And it's it's very clear to most women living today, I think, that we are still not there. There are still many things that we are not able to do or p- privileged to do or able to do without harassment. And the fact that there are women, especially out there, who feel like it's okay for them to, like it would be offensive to other people for them to say, to be a feminist, like, that I find so deeply offensive in itself and so sad. Like, I feel really bad for those women. What in, what in your life makes you feel like you saying, I am just as good as everyone else is a bad thing it's to say? Why is that hope, a problem? Given Hulu's wide audience range, that maybe over the course of the show, if this conversation continues, that maybe that can be a place where we can take it, right? That... If you yeah. want to stand up for Avgoan and you want to stand up for Alfred, that you claim that feminism is a way to do that. Yeah. Um, let's, let's hope we, we see better from Luke. The- uh, so we get the eye interrogation, which is freaking weird. Oh. And the, the guy is weird. And Aunt Lydia is there, which you know is never a good sign. And they're basically interrogating. You think they're inter- you're, you're led to believe they're inter- interrogating her at first, uh, interrogating Alfred. Because she has talked to Off Glenn about the resistance. And that's where you think it is going. But it is slowly evolves into this, did you two have a uh, homosexual relationship together? Cause I they, did not see that coming, P.S., like, at all. Really? Yes. Yeah, I don't think I necessarily did either. Did you? Yeah. Tiana? Yeah? Really? Yeah. I thought it was going to be interrogation about the resistance stuff. Like, I did not see the, were you in a relationship thing. So that, that caught me, which was kind of cool. I, yeah, I... I think it was just very top of mind at the moment because I was thinking about what, you know, what would happen to gender traitors and um, 
Right, and that does and did get because then the question they do say that again. So that's the second time we yeah. hear the phrase gender or the term gender traitor. When she said, "Did you know that she was a gender traitor?" And that is the point where Offred says, "I knew she was gay," and then she gets cattle prodded because the word "gay" is taboo and outlawed in Gilead. So many things are. This reminds me of the Holocaust too, and and treatment of gays and lesbians and transgender people um, in the Holocaust and being interrogated and this idea that and I don't remember what the language is, but I'm wondering if Atwood consciously got gender traitor from and she Holocaust might have language because she was she was in, in Berlin, Berlin yeah. when she was writing it. That would make a lot of sense. Uh, so the, and again, I put a note on here of dehumanization. So at this point, you know, referring to all these people is gender traitors and they're not human so again you can do anything to anyone that you don't think is human uh let's see there's the whole blessed are the meek line which is where she gets smacked over the head so the aunt lydia gives her blessed are the meek and she finishes the uh verse blessed are those that suffer for the cause of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven i remember and then she gets a club in the face and takes you know takes a spill on the floor at that point Serena Joy runs in and is like, she's pregnant. And then Aunt Lydia gets this look on her face like, oh, I can't believe I lost it and beat her when she was pregnant. It reminded me of that West Wing episode where he goes off on, I don't know if it's Dr. Laura or somebody fictional in the West yes. Wing episode. Yes. But you want to use the Bible at me? I can use the Bible right there back is at a, you. There's a fantastic scene. And I look it up on YouTube all the time <laughs> when I'm thinking about the people that throw out Bible verses and you know, try and quote everything against you. And it is this whole thing. It, it goes on this whole rant of using Bible verses against her using and all this stuff. You, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so then, okay, we get her and Aunt Lydia beats the crap out of her. She feels terrible because she's supposedly pregnant. And now we go to the Avglen scene where she is in the Hannibal Lecter mask, which is the only thing I can think of what it's called. Because um, that's when I see that, that's what I think of. And it made me think of dogs like the oh the muzzle yeah yeah so i guess we could call it the muzzle in my head it's just a hannibal lecture mask uh so she is going to court so basically they have arrested her that she is going to be tried for whatever crime now that we know being a homosexual is the crime that she is essentially being tried with because she had an affair with a hand or martha and so someone found out about it i guess we assume through the martha network so we end up at court and this is the first time we really see the gilead system of justice play out and they bring them in and talk the about system of justice and air quotes. Yeah, air quotes definitely. Uh, a speedy trial. You got one now because basically all they say is they basically verify the man's testimony. He they ask the judge asks, "Is the this man what happened?" Speaking on behalf of Gilead. Yes. And they ask him, "Is this what happened? Do you say that this was happened?" All right, you guys are gone. And so then they sentence them. The Martha gets sentenced to death. Avglin, because she is still viable and can have a child, is sentenced to, quote, redemption, and nobody knows what that means. Come to think of it, they didn't sentence the Martha to death, because I thought they were going to send her to the colonies. I don't think they use the word death. They say it's all abstract. It's all very, like, we're not putting anything in. in, We're going to use euphemisms. Very ceremonial. Yeah, for sure. So the next thing we see, they are both taken away very swiftly, thrown in the van, and this next scene is very interesting because I'm a Homeland watcher, and this is how Brody died on Homeland. They hung him from a crane, like I think is done in the Middle East. Correct me if I'm wrong. Only know this I have via no television. About this. So they they hang the girl. They hang the Martha. They take her out of the back of the van, and there's a giant crane. And so they just lift up the crane. And from my only experience, I believe that 
there are some Middle Easters in I think in Homeland they were in Saudi Arabia. And that is how they executed people. Well, they it like does it, have uh, some. I, I understand. So I could that could be very that could be wrong. But it was in a very much public spectacle. So they had like a giant vacant lot, and they would put this person, and they would let them hang there for days. And that was my question because I'm used to like oh, good old fashioned American hanging, you know, the neck breaks because the they they do the lever out from well, the bottom. Right. And that was the interesting part. Playing. I thought they were going to make her sit there and watch it. Yeah. And see, this is what becomes of you know homosexuals in this society but they do a different thing where they close it they let her well, see they, it yeah, they let her they see let it her happen see it. but immediately they drive away but you can see it yeah. through the window the entire time and can we say too i, I don't want to skip over the moments they have in the van being oh. transported oh. there together yes, i'm sorry that yeah. was heartbreaking so much yes because, was communicated without any words and it was so heartbreaking there's just so much emotion so clearly apparent and it really implies that this wasn't a short-term relationship they were like committed because they clearly so deeply care and they're so they seem sad for each other even though they obviously aren't saying that because they're still muzzled and that was i was really impressed that that was communicated so well in that such a short period no words being spoken and very limited movement. I, I thought that speaking was, of kind of shattering great stereotypes, both actresses. right? That it's not just about lasciviousness or this whole, you know, that you're going to do that for attention or all these yeah. rumors and terrible things that are said about the gay community. I think this is a this is a loving relationship, especially. Yes, yeah. for sure. Uh, so real quick, we're hit the the big beats of the end of the episode three. So we do have some interaction with her and Nick. Um, we're starting to maybe think there's some sexual tension there, but I don't still... I, well, with Nick, clearly Clear. I think there is, but I don't know if she is feeling the same way. But then this is the part where uh, we figure out that she is not pregnant. So she starts her period because she's, I believe, holding her underwear or undergarment, whatever And I'm begging is. her to then blame aunt lydia right and say like right. well, i was pregnant until she you know cattle prodded me and threw head. me on the ground she doesn't do it crane thing was that remind me of a oh god it moved my head a second ago off of argo that's oh. like one of the scenes when ben affleck arrives and how where is that they're in iran oh, yeah, yeah. And that's and they show they pass by a scene and then i remember at the end somebody's of it, hanging from pic- a crane yeah they had two people hanging from a crane and then right. I remember at the end they showed like real pictures and oh okay yeah. so it is and a that thing. was that was actually a thing so. all right <laughs> go ahead didn't make that up in my head and only get it from homeland uh so we get serena joy who is now once again still in her happy serena joy mode because she still thinks offred is pregnant um, so she has made her up a new room that has a window and light coming in and all this stuff. And then, uh, Fred has to tell her, I am not pregnant to which I think that was going to be the nursery. Oh, was that going to be the nursery? I did I not, I did not get the impression that was going to be. Oh, okay. Yeah. So maybe I'm no, just crazy. I think that was the nursery. Yeah. 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 Did I miss a sign where it said, this is the nursery? No, I just no, thought it was, she was the talking ways. about the light in the morning and like, it sounded yeah. like she was planning uh, on I spending totally happy thought that it was just there. like, Hey, you got upgraded cause you got pregnant. I thought it was like, I don't think anybody would get a point to that degree. And you're right. Ice cream, but you don't get it. You don't get it. Ice cream is where the upgrade stops. Well, I apologize for not knowing that, but regardless, the reaction is swift and basically, Serena Joy throws her in a room and says, you can stay here and not come out for the rest of the day, which is, again, you know, another power thing over this person who you, you were just treating like royalty, and now you've thrown them on the floor like a child and are treating them, you know, terribly. As if she did something wrong. As if wrong. she did something wrong. When, as Rhea was saying, there's clearly an out here. <laughs> this is clearly Aunt Lydia's fault. So we get to uh, the final scene, which so screwed up. We open it up with... 
basically a stark white room, and you don't really know where you're at. You're thinking hospital just because of how it looks. Um, Avglin is there. She sits up and wakes up, and there's nobody else in the room, which makes it extra creepy. She gets up, and she stands in the middle of the room and kind of pulls her gown up, and she's, you know, in between her legs is a... Um, we can say her bandage. vagina is bandaged. Okay, well, like, I, that's you know, a thing. I didn't we know can how say as adults. Yeah. It's okay. I, I can say all kinds of things. I just didn't know whatever it was comfortable with. So just want to make sure. I feel like if you watch this show, you're just all in. <laughs> all right. Well, we can be just all in. So covering her vagina is a bandage. So you can clearly, you clearly know that something has been done. And you're her. intrigued because you know they're not messing with her fertility. Right. So you're, you're like, Wait. So they can't have like sewn her up. Yeah. Right. And so then That's enter. That's thing that happens, Jason. Sorry. No, it's fine. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> what was that? Sewing her up? Yeah. Yeah. That's a thing that is done to torture women. Really? Yes. Seems right, but not right in the sense that that should be yeah, done. It seems, seems like a torture thing. Actually happening. But I, I don't think I've ever heard of that before. All right. So mm-hmm. enter Aunt Lydia, who goes on this little monologue about how you will not want what you can't have anymore. With and this really interesting assumption that if you cut out that physical part, that that's yeah. going to change the brain, right? It's the same right. kind of logic as... I thought that, as, too. That, like, you would no longer desire if you don't have a clitoris right. is really, like, broken thinking. Like, that seems so archaic. As if some of us have, like, male-drawn clitoris and other people have female-drawn clitoris. You yeah. just cut it out and you'll totally be, be, switch be it around fine. like Legos. Right. Just reattach it somewhere. Yeah, I, I had that same thought. And also, like... That is an incredible form of torture for a handmaid because it would make sex not just compl- even less enjoyable than it already is. So it would be painful rather than just... It would be yeah. painful, like very, very painful. The whole thing... And that's... Oh, wow. It, 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 it was tough to imagine that situation getting worse. Yes. But that does that, it. That's way worse. And the way they show that scene, the stark whiteness of everything just oh, gives it this... And then her face. And her face. The close-up on and her face. Alexis you know, what Bledel she's wearing just really is just... Turning in her A game these last I, episodes. I said it was very kind of clockwork orange esque to me. Is that yeah. is this totally bizarre look? I had a really like this feels like a Kubrick film. Yeah, moment. it did have a very Kubrick feel about it, and so it was. And then when you figure out what's been done to her, and we did have this brief conversation pre-show when we were talking about it, and I was calling it female circumcision, and Tiana made a point of saying, "Not no, anything no, no. like circumcision. <laughs> this is not, not comparable is cl- at is all." Clitoridectomy a word? I don't know. Oh, kind of yeah. should be though. Um, you got to think it, it has to be. Yeah. So I, I kind of have a problem with calling this anything but female genital mutilation or FGM for short, because it is mutilation. Um, that is that's what we would call it if you cut off most of a man's penis. <laughs> that's that's what it is. That's true. It's a terrible thing. That is accurate. I, you, I recognize that we would say we were mutilated. Yes, think it correct. is an acceptable practice and sometimes prescribed by their religion. That does not change my opinion of the situation. I just kind of have a problem with calling it anything that minimizes what it is. I'm going to agree with you. I feel like that's calling. I feel like that's calling rape assault. It's not the same thing. I'm down with that. And interesting when you Google clitoridectomy, which I suppose is a word, or Google something. There's an article. A 19th century answer to masturbation. So the idea that this is then... That masturbation was bad and in order to prevent them from masturbating, they would remove the clitoris? There we go. Oh! Awful. All right. So then we figure out that that's what's been done to her and Aunt Lydia promptly leaves to let her think about that. And she kind of goes through this fantastic, you know, 
terrible but fantastic performance was facial recognition it's of what has been epic. done to her and the fact that she is going to still have to live in this you know society as a handmaid and now not be able to derive much pleasure if any from the sex that she is having with the commander or should she decide to try and her go the martha route again and try and get a relationship going not, you know i'm not going to say none and that was a thought that i did have I, just let me speak out of turn since i don't have a vagina i know that there are other ways to orgasm besides the clitoris so i don't know that 100% of the pleasure is gone but it but would cause pain so it would cause pain like period like yeah it would cause pain ever all the time assuming they didn't do a very caring careful job which you got to think they didn't which i have to think that that's what happened okay she's going to be in pain during sex and again this is me just my ignorance of the situation i mean you know there are like other parts of the body that could be stimulated she could possibly maybe still enjoy herself occasionally but it's going to make the ceremony painful and that's and that is really like i really could not have imagined a way that that ceremony could get worse in that society structure they have set up but this is it alice walker has a great have you read possessing the secret of joy no she's a great it's a great novel about this kind of concept and about what happens and the, like the multiple tensions in different societies and but the character then does experience this pain and, and talks about how it's not just that moment it's an, it's not even just the denial of pleasure it's an active a lifetime of pain that you're in for oh. it's terrible every it's time i hear about it it's just one of those things that is just like i have yeah. to get it out of my brain yeah because it's it is... something that sounds like it's just exists for torture so the yes. idea of it existing as part of an accepted practice is just horrifying brutal uh so getting back to the music we do have some ending music here after Ob oh, Glenn. Sorry. can we go back to something real quick uh, go back for alexis uh, bedell for like did she say anything this whole episode did no, she have one that's line a good point. this whole episode? Oh, that's a good oh point. no, she had the she had the muscle on the whole time. You're right. Yeah, so I thought she did I mean, a really good it, job. It of, was like, a good. Saying, it was a good visual screaming. That's. I mean, this. I mean, this like. Yeah, she you're right. Did, she didn't like. She wow, had, you're right. You're like able to get, like feel what and understand what's going on almost the whole time, even though she's not saying she, a word. She's muzzled or she didn't say a word. She was, much it was the whole not time. only just not speaking. You couldn't see the lower half of her face. Yeah, I mean so that's really restrictive. Like, just with your eyes. It was all eyes. Like, yeah. So Good that catch. was something I noticed. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. in the as you were she saying, was, she was amazing in the van in scene episodes, with the other great. with the other with the Martha was great. So with the ending music for this one is uh, "Waiting for Something" by this guy Jay Retard, which is his name. Um, I assume stage name. <laughs> Hoping uh, I have heard his music. I am not an avid Jay Retard listener. Uh, but it's a song called Waiting for Something. And the lyrics are basically, it's not complete. I must compete. Stand on my feet. Live with these creeps. I'm sitting, waiting for something to happen. Oh, no, no, no. And it just repeats that over and over again as Glenn is like completely freaking out. And that's where they cut the scene. So that is episode three. We're three episodes in and I could not be more excited for the rest of this show. I'm um, angry about the inability to binge watch at this point. I would really <laughs> like to complete the cycle. It, it is <laughs> yeah. an interesting way that they're that hulu does it and i i'd be interested to see the numbers so uh everyone pleased thus far with the show i think it's phenomenal so far i was definitely pleased just from episode one to two that they dialed it up a notch in pretty much every level um and so i'm completely thrilled with where things are going and the production value like we talked about is on par with anything you're going to see made anywhere else for film let alone a tv show so i've been very not pleasantly surprised just very pleased overall i think it's a really cool tv show i i think it's missing the theoretical oomph that 
I wanted it to have, but I'm whole reserving judgment for more episodes. I think the more information they give us, the less thinking there is for us to do. And I would rather have some of that be up to me to have to, to wrestle with. And I'm not having to wrestle with as much because they're giving me so much terrible stuff that I don't have to... I don't have to think as much. Um, but I think part of that is that's the way the TV works. And so I'm intrigued to see how they kind of keep that up. Yeah, TV, they do spoon feed it a little more to you to kind of tell you what you think. But I think also with this show specifically, they're kind of giving it to you that way because they want you to think about what's going on now as opposed to could this happen? It's more of is this happening or are we leading? And that's my question is I'm not convinced they're doing a fantastic job of that yet. And so I want to keep watching to see if I think that they're really making a comment on today's society or are they giving us a dystopia, just a classic dystopia. Well, to give a timeline question, because I know we had one last time as to when this is and how long it's been in the same interview that I've referenced a couple of times, Margaret Atwood says that her past. So all the flashbacks she's having is basically like today. And so you're to assume that the current show, her current time is a Near few future. years ahead of right now so we're not too okay. far ahead i did really enjoy like the theoretical like this is how a society is destroys itself from the inside ha- that happens in the book but like in the show because it's so real and like they're using uber like they're doing things we all do every day in the flashbacks i enjoy the level of specificity we get for the characters because i feel like i know them so much more and that makes the tv show much more visceral and much more real to me because my life is really similar to June's life more relatable to the yeah it's it's much more similar and that makes it way more real and it's a whole different experience like it doesn't really take away from my experience of the book I still really enjoyed that I'm rereading it right now as we're watching the show which is really interesting but it's just a different kind of good Mm -hmm. I really enjoy it Jason anything to add before we wrap up I don't think I could be more uncomfortable watching the show. <laughs> Just wait until episode four. <laughs> like, it's like you have this like feeling the whole time. Like it's like I think like the line in Serena Joey says like I can make things much worse or something like that. <laughs> things right? can get things much worse get, for you. Yeah, yeah, like and I'm like no, I can't. And then you see like, <laughs> then you see like the last scene, and you're like, oh well, I yeah, guess they, they can. can. So yeah, they do like, just keep dialing it up a notch. So I guess we'll see where it goes. So next week we will have episode four. And we will roll out our podcast covering episode four. So thank you for listening to Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. We will see you next time. See ya. Bye. Bye. We've reached our final installment of our three-part interview with John Marcotte of HeroicGirls.com. We're going to let him wrap things up here by talking about his TED Talk that he did and also letting us know about the future of HeroicGirls.com. We really want to thank John for coming on the show and allowing us to interview him. He was our first guest, and so we really appreciate it. And you can look forward to more interviews at the end of our podcast coming up in the future. Remember to visit John Marcotte's website, HeroicGirls.com. The TED Talk was interesting. I, I gave my TED Talk at the, uh, at the TEDx Women's Salon. So it was <laughs> 500 to 800. I can't remember exactly what the number was. I'm not good at crowd estimation. Uh, kind of like the president in that way. Um, so, yeah, I don't know exactly how many people were there. But think it's, uh, it was think a long okay, don't send out any fake pictures. Yeah, I'm not going to send out my my uh, press agent to argue that there were a million people watching me. That's for sure. But uh, you know, the, the room was yeah, the the room was there, and it uh, uh, I was literally uh, close to the only man in the room. You know, it was, uh, and I think when you're a man talking about 
things like gender issues and, and a little bit of feminism and things like that, uh, you have to explain why you're involved in this conversation and why it's important to you. Um, you know, no one, uh, uh, women hate mansplaining, but you know what they hate more than mansplaining? Someone mansplaining feminism, which, uh, uh, <laughs> is awful, of course. So, um, Very you know, true. I've always had, you know, my, my authentic voice in this topic is as an advocate for my children. I certainly should have a say in what I think is good for my two girls. And that is why I became more vocal about these issues. I always had my beliefs, but the reason I started advocating for things is I have two girls and it's my job to make the world a little better place for them and to, uh, you know, tackle these issues so that I can help them out in the future. So, uh, that's always been my perspective as a, as a parent. And, uh, I have to set the scene. Every time I talk, we have to talk a little bit about why I'm here, uh, right. why I'm interested in this topic because otherwise it can come across, uh, badly. But so far, uh, everybody's been very receptive to what I have to say. So, I assume Good. we're uh, we're doing okay. You know, Heroic Girls has grown large enough. I think we're looking at uh, you know filing paperwork to become a nonprofit. Um, I'm uh, putting together a panel for San Diego Comic Con. Uh, there's no guarantee that, that I'm going to get selected to, to do a panel, but I'm, I'm hopeful. Um, and I'm trying to think of other uh, interesting things. We're probably going to have to uh, sell some merchandise on the site. We might sell some T-shirts or bumper stickers or something. Uh, because ironically, in order to declare that we're not making any money, that we're a nonprofit, we have to pay money to do that. So, so uh, <laughs> nice. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. To become a nonprofit, you have to pay, you know, yeah, hundreds if not thousands of dollars to say I'm not wow. making money. So yeah. uh, we're we're looking at ways that we can finance that at least to be revenue neutral, so that we're not going in the hole. I mean, pretty much everything we do at this point is financed out of my pocket. So. Uh, right. It would be nice if the, if the enterprise paid for itself at least a little bit. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the uh, the long longer term goal is to get that nonprofit status. Uh, Short term goal is uh, this week I'm drafting up uh, plans to uh, put together a panel at San Diego Comic Con. Excellent, excellent. Can you give us a preview of what that might be? Um, we have a couple ideas we're kicking around, but you know we thought we'd probably play the strengths and do a panel on raising heroic girls. You know how the, the whole kind of premise of the website and the organization, the idea that superheroes are good for girls and talk about why that is and, and you know, kind of guidelines and things that do, hey, if, uh, this is why we think this is a good idea. Here's some ideas that you can take home with you if you're a parent to uh, think about uh, how you can impact your, your kids' lives by maybe broadening their horizons uh, and fighting gender norms a little bit. Thanks for listening to this edition of Mayday, the Handmaid's Tale podcast. You can find us on Twitter at at Handmaid Podcast. You can find us on Instagram as well and on Facebook. On behalf of everyone here at the show, thanks and we'll see you next week.